0: I do want to go quickly. I, I want to. I have something. This is very dangerous for me, uh, because I have given my whole life uh, to what I'm going to talk about today. My whole calling uh, is based in what I'm going to talk about today. So uh, this could be very dangerous. I'll, I'll, I'll allude to two scriptures. Um, but this is not merely education. I, I, if the Lord will help me today, I want to frame what you're trying to do, maybe in a way uh, that will help you understand the biblical power uh, behind what we're called to do as teachers. Uh, so I, I'm going to throw a word at you today. It's, I'm going to call it this, maybe this talk, our our one task, our one task. And And if you've heard me talk about this, then you know my passion around it. But it's not merely education. I'm going to use a word that I think names the biblical concept, which is formation. All right, so I'm going to talk about formation today. So uh, John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus says something fascinating. Uh, He begins to talk. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? No, I tricked you. The Bible does not say set you free. The Bible only says make you free. And that's about formation. Right, that's a, that's a, uh, uh, oh, uh, I'm trying to behave today. I try not to get too preachy, but it's about, it's about the power of God to bring truth to bear on the heart of an individual and and, and sister Marcus through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that capacity to cooperate with truth comes together, coalesces, and that literally the truth makes you into something you can't be any uh, way else. Uh, I'll just allude to this quickly, Colossians 2.8. Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. Now, what he's talking about there? uh, Brother Norman, you've heard me rant on this before, but that that Greek word stoikian, Paul, uh, it could be translated uh, spirit system. And it's literally that people are carried into a dominion A spirit system, Paul says, uh, under the prince, the domain of principalities and powers, you are going to be captivated by some type of system. They're like, well, Brother Kilman, that sounds negative. Well, I understand. It's like it's like the battery. You got to have a negative and a positive post. You got to deal with the the truth and you got to deal with lies. Right. And so we're doing that constantly in the context of teaching all of these wonderful uh, people the Lord's put under your ministry as a responsibility. And I do consider it ministry, don't you? We're there to minister to uh, these wonderful people. And Paul says uh, that, that they can be captivated by ideas. So, Sister Wolf, you're stripping down, you're, you're pulling away ideas that are leading people into captivity, and I just want to go there. We could talk about marriages. We could apply that to youth. We could talk about kids coming in with lies about who they are and, and their value that pastors already addressed. But I'll leave all of that application to you. You think about that in the context of your own ministry, where the Lord is using you to bring the truth to bear, to tear down lies so that they can be made free. Now, okay, you can tell. I'm telling you it was dangerous. All right, so I'm going to try to give you 10 quick points. You started a timer on me, right, baby? Okay, good. All right. All right, so uh, number one, uh, we have to know what we're about. I remember one of my uh, favorite stories on this is what R.C. Sproul called uh, his personal baptism in the public education crisis. He took his uh, daughter uh, uh, to a a wonderful school there in Boston, and uh, they were having a parents' night. And Brother Barkus he said at parents' night, uh, kind of what principals do, we're going to show the value of our education, right? It's kind of like uh, 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 the day that we have at IBC, wherever Brother Henderson is. Where are you, Brother Henderson? Wave at me. Did I lose him? Okay, so wherever, uh, so when we have a premiere day at IBC, we, we do those types of things. And So what he said was, he says, you're going to hear your kids come in, and they're going to say something like, what did you do at school today? We're paying all this extra money for the school, and they're going to say, well, we played with puzzles. And you're going to say, why in the world am I paying all this extra money to send them to school to play with puzzles? And he says, but they're not just playing with puzzles. He says, from 9 o'clock in the morning to 9.17 a.m., they're playing with puzzles that were designed by pediatric neurosurgeons from John Hopkins University to help develop the motor skills of the left hand. And he went through and he's just telling them little thing after little thing after little thing. And everything, he says, was uh, had some type of pur- purposeful activity behind it. He gets to the end of the day and he said, Are, is there any questions? And Chris said, of course, everybody laughs, right? Who's going to have any question?" But their problem was they had the philosopher-theologian in their midst. And so R.C. Sproul says, sir, I'm impressed by your careful analysis. And you made it clear that everything that you do when they walk into the school uh, has a purpose. But there are only so many minutes in the day and and you have to be selective. So uh, what specific purposes do you want to achieve? And he said, my question, maybe to phrase it a little bit differently, a little more clearly, is why did you select the purposes that you have chosen? And what is the, uh, what is the, the standards by which you, uh, select from all of the purposeful things that you can do? In other words, Brother Herbst, he says, uh, what type of student are you trying to, in, to produce and why? At that moment, the, the, the principal's face went a little ashen and then beat red and without rancor and with a whole lot of humility. He said, "Uh, I don't know. No one has ever asked me that question before. And and R.C. Sproul responded, sir, I, I deeply appreciate your candor and your spirit. But frankly, your answer terrifies me because you have to know what you're about. All right. Now, that's my challenge for you today. Number two, uh, the second thing is that institutions, and we're part of an institution, that's Stoichian, that, that, that uh, Jesus uh, says uh, we bring the truth to bear. And, and the same type of spirit system involves uh, ideas and the spirit behind it. Uh, and so what does that mean, Brother Stoner? It means that when we bring truth to bear and the spirit of God, that's another kind of dominion that you allow people to participate in because they're stepping into that power and understanding. Understanding through your ministry. Right? So institutions then are about formation. But further, not just formation. I'm gonna I'm gonna be more specific: a formation for liberty and freedom. Uh, One of my uh, favorite authors that I found in the past couple of years, if you'll forgive me today, uh, is by uh you his name is Yuval Levin. He wrote a great little book called The Time to Build. How many of you know we can't just understand there's chaos in the culture? We have to build. Right. So that's what I believe we're doing in this room today. Uh, we have uh, people that are invested in saying, yes, there's there's uh, dominion of principalities and powers, brother Kilman. But there's also a responsibility of the church to have revival and victory. And so you've says it this he, he says this in his great little book A time to build. He says the argument of this book is a conservative one of a particular sort. Now remember, like we don't we think left right in politics, brother Barkus. But this is when we say conservative, we mean to conserve the ideals, right? That's what I mean by conservative. Uh, so he says it begins from the premise that human beings are born as crooked creatures, prone to waywardness and sin. That we therefore always require moral and social formation. And that such formation is what institutions are for. Now, what is he saying there? Uh, He's saying that uh, everything we do is about forming people for the freedom that they need. That means when they walk into your classroom, you have the opportunity to form them for the greatest freedom possible. Now, now what does that mean? Uh, Number three, uh, for look that I'm doing good of 10. We're doing good. I'm on track, baby. We are formed for what I'm going to call true freedom. The freedom to not only do what you want. That is a a very low level of freedom. When I teach at Indiana Bible College, I get to teach holiness over there. Uh, It's kind of cheating being the dean of biblical studies. I get to teach all the fun classes. Pastor, I apologize for that. So I'm trying to share that out a little bit. But when I teach on holiness, I tell them uh, that at the end of the day, freedom is the greatest definition of freedom is not the freedom to do what you want. That's a very low level freedom. The greatest level of freedom, Brother Masdom, is the freedom to do what you should. And I I tell them and I rant on it a lot because I'm about forming those young ministers into saying the right things from the pulpit, because if they say the truth and teach the truth and preach the truth, that will make the things they need in the in the pew, which is freedom. And I say the power of the Lord uh, through his spirit and the truth helps me to be a better man and a better husband and a better father than I can ever be on my own. Why? Because I've been disciplined into that. I've been formed into that. I've been guided into that beyond my own selfish, selfish waywardness and sin. Now, we have to understand that that's what we're talking about, true freedom. And it's like the difference between views of life. Now, if you're going to be effective as any type of teacher, you have to understand that uh, it comes with with a whole lot of ideas uh, that are foundational uh, to the world and existence. Uh, Say it another way, you cannot deny reality. And what that means is, that, uh, that one of the definitions of insanity, I know we're familiar, I think Brother McGrath mentioned it, Noah Webster's third definition of freedom, the, uh, doing the same thing again and again, and expecting a different result. He did that in his uh, highlight sermon, and I enjoyed it very good. Great job the other day. And so uh, the, the first definition, though, is a disconnection from reality. So what you have to do is be able to connect people with reality, and that means something like a view of life. There are two competing, uh, views of life, and one of them is a, what we would call the constrained view. The other is the unconstrained view, or, or to say it another way, it's the, it's the tragic view of life and the utopian view of life. We're not dealing with the utopian view of life. How many of you know Genesis three happened? The fall happened. And we, we have to tell people you have a fallen nature. You, there's a sin, a thing on the inside of you that will drive you towards bondage, not freedom. And you get the opportunity to show them how to cooperate with truth so that their life can then be made free. And so that's the difference. I'll do respect to our wonderful friends. We don't believe in utopian visions of life. And, and that means something like this, like I, I'll quote uh, one of my uh, favorite authors uh, from history, Alex de Tuckville, one of those, uh, a French aristocrat who came to the United States to figure out how in the world uh, the American uh, nation, uh, Brother was like, or was like, how did we get to the place where we did where now America is the monolith and passed up France, who's existed in much longer. I wish we had time to deal with it, Pastor, but you know, America's the youngest and oldest nation in the world. So the youngest in sense of time of existence, Brother Barkus, but uh, oldest in terms of continuous uh, constitution. And it's because our founders did not deny reality. You got to deal with the fallen condition. And, and Tucville looked at America and he, he had things to say. And I, if you haven't visited that work and you like to read, that's a great little place to start. It's uh, three volumes. Hallelujah. Forgive me for that. But he says in that, in, in that work, uh, liberty cannot be established without morality. Right? And then he goes on to say, nor morality without faith. And so what he's saying is something powerful that uh, when we look at uh, what's going on in our world, we have to understand that morality is the issue. The proverb says it this way, sin exalts, uh, sin, uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach uh, to any people. And again, the foundational things that you're teaching every day will not just be in this room. It will spill out of your Sunday school class into marriages and from marriages into society. And we can have a revival at a fundamental level, morality level, not just And I, I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm when the rapture takes place. Don't call me. Hallelujah. Because I'm going to fly in the sky behind my hallelujah. But how many of you know we can affect our world, and the revival in our culture is going to happen, uh, oh brother, master, by getting them to give their obedience to the Lord, and that o- obedience is like salt and light, and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is revealed because we become fashioned just like the man Christ Jesus was obedient. And that glory in the, uh, of God in the face of Jesus Christ is the possibility of what you're shaping in a three-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 80-year-old. Because again, that's uh, what God is calling us to do. Now I gotta hurry. How many minutes do I have left, baby? She's not gonna tell me. Okay. Well, let me, let me get, refer you to a, uh, an article written in 1954 because when we're talking about shaping people, we gotta be formed for true freedom. Um, there's this uh, notion uh, that we run into, and I, I want to just kind of push against some stuff in the culture that I think can unwittingly uh, put pressure on us as as uh, people that should be intentional about formation. Now, I'm going to get a little stronger than that in a minute, uh, but it, it's called, called The Crisis in Education, written in 1954 by uh, someone who's not a Christian, Hannah Arndt, and, and it, she's saying this is what happens, and She says, we got to deal with progressivism's uh, educational ideal, their false ideal. Now, what does that mean? They would say, well, first of all, they believe children are pure. And then secondly, uh, we need to, if they're pure, we need to step out of their lives and allow them to create their own little thing. Because at the end of the day, we bring our own prejudices into the mix. And that's what corrupts them. And then thirdly, we shouldn't impose our authority on kids. Let me just tell you, uh, my son's already grown, but some of you may have him. Where are you at, young adult directors? Where are the huskies at? Keep shaping him. Keep the pressure on him. Uh, the, uh, the first time my kid prayed for the Holy Ghost was at Calvary Christian School in a chapel. He, he, the second time he prayed, he got the Holy Ghost. He was praying, I believe, right here, baby doll. Oh, one more over. One more over on that side. We took him in the back room. So keep the pressure on him. I got a wonderful young man that I have not raised by myself. God gifted me with a whole bunch of people to help form him. And so that's what we got to say. So impose authority. Now, what's the problem with that? Now, what Arndt says is what you end up getting is the tyranny of the majority. He said at the end of the day, children lack of reason and judgment at that level. And what they end up doing is pursuing passions and then afflicting them on each other. Now that sounds like peer pressure. Okay, and so uh, what, what does that mean then? Now, now, fourth point, now I gotta hurry. The two greatest institutions for formation uh, are are absolutely biblical, and even Alex de Tuckville in his Democracy in America points this out. I wish I had time to show you. Man, all I want you to do is have enough uh, courage to say what secular sociologists and psychologists say. And they will tell you that the greatest two institutions for formation for freedom are the church and the family. That's why there's a war in our culture against the church and the family. Why? Because the devil knows the two greatest places that form freedom into the life of an individual. And I don't have time to deal with that. Hallelujah. Turn to your neighbor and say, pray for him. So then point number five. Since that's the case, we cannot leave formation to others. Now, now, what does that mean? It means something like this. Uh, uh, it's like w- when Macy Pedigo was here just a few years ago and she went over to IUPUI's campus. That's a dry campus. They don't even allow alcohol in there. Well, they don't allow alcohol over there. Uh, and, but, you know, you're thinking it's not Indiana University. You know, their, their religion department is pretty much hate everything but Christianity department. Uh, all due respect to Indiana University. And, and when you look at IUPUI, she walked into one sociology class and the teacher dropped four f bombs in the first five minutes and said, "Your parents program religion into you. I'm here to program it out of you." So, I, I, what are you what are you saying, Brother Kilman? I'm just saying that. Formation is going to happen whether you do your job or not, because the world is after our kids. The world is after our teenagers. And I don't have to preach on this, but just let me speak from my heart as an educator, as a person called the formation. Uh, those young adults are walking on Brother the Hussey, a campus every day that's against their values, against the freedom that God intends for their life. So don't you ever apologize for being intentionally about formation. What are you saying, Brother Kilman? Well, uh, I, I was reading uh, uh, another author, forgive me for all my resources, uh, that you know what the greatest enemy of liberty is in raising children. They were talking about it. They were ta- Of course, this is someone that's outside of uh, the biblical paradigm in our sense uh, that we would embrace. Uh, but John Locke, how many know who John Locke is? Puritan roots. Uh, I was just here to get into that in a qualified way. But he says it's the power of public opinion that has become the new despotism. Now, what did he mean by that, David? He said, it's the power of fashion. He says, it's the power of reputation or the power of custom, or I'll put it more plainly, the lust for respectability. And what he would say is we, we look at abandonment as horrible in fathers and mothers. When they abandon their children, they lead them to somebody else uh, to raise. Like, it's interesting to me to think about how uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau was the uh, the great apostle of the renaissance, uh, uh brother Helian, and trying to move people away uh, from truth to, uh, life is uh, life is well. Hallelujah. What it is. It's a pleasure principle. And, and he dropped all five of his children off at an orphanage to be raised. I don't think I need to listen to his ethical system on how to form people, form a society. He can't even raise his kids. So pardon me for that little extra. But what that means is something like this. We look at someone, I don't care if it's Jean-Jacques Rousseau and how brilliant he is in his mind. Uh, You ready? At the end of the day, I say, I don't value you, sir, or your opinion because you have abandoned your responsibility as a father. How many of you get that? Well, what about, now I'm going to, push that on you. Ready? That means we as a church, you as a teacher cannot abandon your responsibility of formation. That means every day when you walk into that class, it has to be more than babysitting. It has to be, and I understand busy schedules, but you got to say, Lord, help me to go into that room and pour out the best of who I am so that formation can happen in the hearts of these kids you have trust me with, these couples you have trust me with, whoever the Lord gives you the opportunity to minister to. That's what we should unabashedly be about. And I wish we had time to dive into it in, in deep detail. But let me, let me just give you uh, one more a reason why. Like if you can do a study on this uh, yourself, there's a, a, it's a not, I wouldn't suggest it for someone probably not in ministry, but there's a great little uh, documentary called Merchants of Cool. It's by Ruskoff. It's a PBS uh, special. It's not even a, it's not conservative, rather Healy. But wow, what he says and the, what he delineates in between the two. It has some rough pieces in there. Be careful. But he talks about the MOOC and the midriff. And he talks about what society is creating. A MOOC is kind of like, forgive me, uh, Howard Stern or, uh, if, uh, or like uh, the show that's where these guys are doing all this stupid junk and they call themselves Jack something. And it's, it's, it's aimed at, uh, what they would call the mook, who is, uh, the man that's irresponsible and crass and crude and disrespectful. What they do is they consume those ideals. And when they consume ideas, that's their becoming, you ready. That's formation. And then they talk about the midriff where the girl, you know, the midriff is the shirt. And, and they would say, well, that's where, you know, they're taught to flaunt sexuality and to act like you're older and to show skin, to be into partying and drinking and the total sexualization of the young girls and uh, typified by people like uh, Christina uh, Aguilera or Britney Spears or uh, some type of cat dolls. And, and what happens is, is they consume those ideals and that's becoming and that's formation. And so that's what led Viacom to say, we don't market to this generation. We own this generation. Why? Because if they're the only one saying what male and female should be, if they're the only ones saying what relationships should be, you ready? Then We shouldn't be surprised if we turn our kids over to Caesar to be raised when they start talking like Romans. And that means unabashedly, we're going to name what Rome is and what Jerusalem is every day when we step into a classroom somewhere, we're going to be about it. And it's like, well, Brother Kilman, what's the result of that? It's no wonder that Jamie Lynn Spears, who's the uh, uh, you know, Britney Spears' younger sister, who's uh, on the Nickelodeon show, Zoe 101, shows up at 16 pregnant. It's no wonder, uh, Brother Mass, that the state of California has opened uh, 28 prisons in one university since the 1980s. And again, it leads them to bondage. So all I'm saying is, at uh, this point, number six, formation will not happen Accidentally. You have to intentionally know what you're aimed at and you have to work at it every day because that's what the world does. And I'm gonna hasten to a close. Number seven. So unabashedly, how many of you get what I'm talking about today? Unabashedly then. Uh, Formation is our task. It's our goal. It's our agenda. It's our responsibility. Uh, And it will not happen without your input. I think it's fascinating that the Greek word for sin is hamartion. It just means, uh, Brother Heatley to miss the mark. And w- what does that mean? Uh, Psalm 127 verse 4 says, as arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are, ch- so are children of the youth. You aim them, you point them, and if you don't point them, they will miss the mark. Because if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. That's why you got to be intentional every day. I got to walk in there with the agenda of formation and I got to know what my purpose is. What type of kid am I trying to produce? If they're raised on the pews of Calvary Tabernacle, what are we aimed at at the end of their life? That's the formation of uh, of freedom and, and, and that freedom, which is the greatest freedom possible. And so that's point number eight. Why do we do that, Brother Kilman? Because formation is the way to the greatest freedom possible. They're formed, they're formed, and that's the critical nature of institutions, whether it's uh, Calvary Tabernacle, Indiana Bible College, or Calvary Christian School, every one of those institutions under the, uh, the power of truth and spirit are there to form character, to forge integrity to help us know who and what we are to be and where and how we belong. The world is speaking to those issues every day. I have two points. How many minutes I got left? Four? Jesus, be a fence. Number nine. The danger of losing moral formation is this. It's the loss of real freedom. And that means... When we lose institutions, when we lose uh, the church's work, much of the good that God calls us to do is lost too. That means to shape and structure my desires rather than serve them. To aim at forming our habits rather than just reflecting them and to direct our longings rather than simply satisfying them. Or to say it another way, we are literally the combatants for the very soul of individuals and also society. Point number 10. So the end of everything we do in the church, everything that you're aimed at, is one goal, formation. What does that mean, Brother Kilman? It's to convince kids, you ready? And, And young adults and teenagers and older people that freedom is serving, not striving. It's freedom in submission and not self-rule. It's freedom in the fear of the Lord and not our own limited ideas. Thank you, Brother Lopez, wherever you were, for tying that beautiful little truth out of uh, the Tower of Babel. And and what does that freedom and healing and purpose and reconciliation look like? One word, Christ. Well, Brother Kilman, that doesn't help me so much. Well, let me concrete it, I think, in three, three little examples one of them was uh, a young boy that was at CCS. I love telling this story. He came to uh, CCS, his last chance to graduate because uh, he was fighting so much in schools. They kicked him out by the Lawrence of public schools because uh, he was so angry. But the behind the part of that, thank you, Pastor, for your vision on that. You never know the hurts that are walking into your classroom. This young man's... Uh, Forgive me, I try to say this carefully because I don't want to disclose anything I shouldn't disclose, but his parents dropped him off at his grandmother's to be raised. When they came by to visit, they would literally act like he was not in the room. And so he was hurt and wounded. And, and, and you know, Brother Stoner, when he walked into high school, he's already got enough hurt in his life. If anybody crossed him, we're going to fight at the drop of a hat because nobody else is going to hurt me. Comes to Calvary Christian School, Brother Marcus, and we do what we did over there. We just start loving on him and encouraging him. And, and, and then there's, a, there's a, a chapel service where a bunch of kids are praying for the Holy Ghost. And how many of you know we're about formation? So the principal of a Christian school says, this is formation too. Go tell Sister Kilman, shut down the math class. Bring all the teenagers down because we need help praying these young kids through to the Holy Ghost. Why? Because we're about formation. And in that service, that young man responds to the Lord and God fills him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He comes in and he tells Sister Goddard, Sister Goddard, I'm not angry anymore. And so she says, well, that's great. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I don't remember the last time I was angry. Formation. Let me me give you another one. It's like a young man at IBC. We're we're teaching on servant leadership and intro to ministry because uh, Jesus said, "He that would be chief among you, let him be a servant." And I remember uh, he's a good young man. I don't want to say where he was from, brother, uh, pastor, because I don't want to, brother Carson, I don't want to hurt him. But he was in the middle of class, and I'm teaching on servant leadership, and I'm laying out principles. Beautiful move of the spirit. How many of you felt that in your Sunday school class? You can, you can feel the touch of the Lord in there. As much as I've been anointed behind a pulpit, I can feel the same thing in a classroom. Same thing in a Bible study. And as, as uh, he be, we begin to teach and do our thing, uh, all of a sudden this young man is over there on his phone on the side. He had some issues. He had some issues. Hallelujah. And, and I, I thought, okay, what's he doing? I don't feel, but you ready. You got to be prayerful before you just drop a hammer on something, right? Thank you, pastor, for discernment and prayer. And, and, and I didn't feel a check in my spirit. So I thought, okay, we'll let it go. And we're, we prayed together. And then uh, he lifted up his hand and I said, yes. And he said, Brother Kilman, I, I'm sorry for getting on my phone in class, but I had to call my mother and apologize. He said uh, we have two services because our church has outgrown our location and he said, uh, in between services, I was serving on the worship team and my mom was cleaning the pews and she came up to me and said, uh, can you help me maybe clean up some of the trash and, or some of the stuff? And he said, I'm not a trash person. He said, I had to call her and apologize. Why? Formation. Bringing the truth to bear in a spiritual moment, literally forms some last one. I wish I could give credit. Brother Lawrence, who it was. I wish I could give credit. My son was uh, walking out of Sunday school And, and, uh, or maybe in children's church, I don't know what the context was, but I said, what'd you learn in, what'd you, what'd you learn from the lesson today? And he said, uh, uh, he said about Samson. I'm like, okay, dude, have I been in so long time with you and thou hast not known me? This is not going to work. Give me more than that. He goes, well, dad, he was strong on the outside, but he wasn't very strong on the inside. And there's my boy learning, learning the truth that you're ready. It's not the external that makes you a strong man. It's that character. It's that love of God. That's, see, that's what I, here's what I want you. I'm going to take a risk. I want you to close your eyes for just a moment and say, Lord, help me to see the opportunities for formation and unapologetically look at everything that the world is doing and say, if they are after him, God, I'm going to be prayerfully after them every day myself they are going to be families strengthened. There's going to be lives formed. Why? Because God doesn't invest that much power and truth and spirit inside of you without reason. He's going to do his work. Amen. I appreciate your passion. Thank you, Brother Healy.